It says, the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men. So also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners. So also through the obedience of one man, the many will be made righteous. And since that time of that incident in the garden, everyone and all of creation was waiting for that one man and that one righteous act. Waiting in eager expectation for God's power to liberate them from decay. For God's purity to wipe away the shame and the confusion of sin. For God's peace to end the frustration of this world. That day was awaited for. And what everyone in all of creation anticipated the most was God's presence. God's presence here. And today, though we live on the other side of, the, of our awaited Savior, all of creation still awaits to see whose eyes will be open, to whom the Savior will be revealed, waiting to see who will put their faith in Jesus Christ and be found as the children of God. And today, my question for you is, are you anticipating God's presence? Are you anticipating his presence? Last week, many of us anticipated guests in our homes, or maybe you were guests in someone else's home and uh, over Thanksgiving holiday. And, and for most of you, uh, there was some sort of announcement from your guests or your family that they wanted to come and that they were going to come. And I'm sure that you really appreciated that. I know I still have a couple of family members that don't understand that announcing that they're going to come and letting us know. They kind of show up. And it's like, oh, hello. <laughs> well, uh, it's really kind of difficult, you know, when you, when you have guests show up unannounced. I mean, you didn't prepare. You don't have the needed food or the accommodations for them. And, and when, but when someone pre-announces their arrival, it gives you time to prepare, to do some things you normally do, to have some expectation, some eager anticipation for what's going to come as you look forward to their arrival. Now, you might even uh, maybe have to meet your guests at the airport. So it might be good for you to know some things beyond the time of their arrival. Like, well, what airline are you on? What uh, is your flight number? Uh, sometimes you have guests that might be coming that you've never uh, met before. You don't know what they look like. And so you might have to ask, how will I recognize you at the airport? And then they'll give you some sort of description of themselves. Well, pre-announcement of a coming guest is a very helpful thing. Well, in our world that has been waiting, there have been, there have been in history people who have shown up and said they're from God or had some sort of message from an angel. But God did us a great favor by pre-announcing the coming of his son so that we could know who to expect, where to expect, how to expect, and what he would do. By pre-announcing, we could anticipate, but also identify the true claimant from the false. You see, Socrates, he had no one who could foretell his birth. Buddha had no one to pre-announce him and his message or to tell the day when he would sit under the tree. Confucius did not have the name of his mother and his birthplace recorded, nor were they given to men centuries before he arrived so that when he did come, men would know that he was a messenger from God. Because of all the Old Testament prophecies, Christ's coming was not unexpected. There were no predictions about Buddha, Confucius, Lao Tzu, Muhammad, or anyone else, but there were predictions about Jesus. Others just came and said, here I am, believe in me. 
Jesus was anticipated, and his arrival was foretold in the writing of the Jewish prophets. That's why Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, understood the importance of his son's role when he was told that, that John would prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. The old woman, Anna, who lived in the temple, knew of a coming Savior and was anticipating his arrival and rejoiced that she got to see his coming before she died. The old man, Simeon, was also waiting in expectation and that for a coming Savior. And he knew that the Savior was not just for the Jews, but for all the world. How did he know this? How did he know this? How did Anna know this? How did Zechariah know this ahead of time? It had already been foretold, pre-announced by God's prophets uh, among the Jews long before. They knew of God's promise to the patriarchs that all the nations would be blessed through them, through Israel, that the prediction of the tribe of Judah would be, be supreme among all the Hebrew tribes. They knew the prediction of the birth, of virgin birth of the Messiah. They knew the prophecy of Isaiah 53 about a suffering servant of the Lord who would lay down his life as a guilt offering for his people's offenses. They knew of the perspectives of a coming, glorious, everlasting kingdom from the house of David. Simeon and others were anticipating God's power, his purity, his peace, and his presence to come through Christ, the Messiah. And it's true. It's true that prophecies of the Old Testament can be best understood in the light of their fulfillment. We all know that. So those living in the times when it happened, it was, when it was being fulfilled, they, they were searching as if in, in murky waters or a dimly lit room. But in whom but, in whom, but Christ have these prophecies been fulfilled? Historically speaking, this is the uniqueness which sets Jesus apart from all other founders of world religion. But you know what? God just didn't pre-announce this to the Jews. There are also records among the pagans that they were anticipating a savior too. Cicero, who died 43 years before Christ's arrival, recounted the sayings of the ancient oracles about a king, he said, quote, a king whom we must recognize to be saved. And then he asked in expectation, to what man, to what period of time do these predictions point? Virgil, who died 19 years before Christ, recounted in his fourth eclogue the same ancient tradition. And he spoke of, I quote, a chaste woman smiling on her infant boy with whom the Iron Age would pass away. Going further back in the time before Jesus' birth, there is recorded in the annals of the celestial empire this statement. And I quote, in the 24th year of Chao Wang of the dynasty of the Chou, in the eighth day of the fourth moon, a light appeared in the southwest, which illumined the king's palace. The monarch, struck by its splendor, interrogated the sages. They showed him books in which this prodigy signified the appearance of the great saint of the West, whose religion was to be introduced into their country, recorded by their prophets. Plato and Socrates spoke of the Logos and the universal wise man who is yet to come. Confucius spoke of the saint. Again, that name was common, I guess, in uh, the Chinese tradition for the coming savior. And the ancient Greek prophets spoke of a universal king who would unloose man from the, I quote, primus eldest curse. All these expectations were outside of the Jewish hope, yet agreed with their hope of a coming savior, someone sent from God. You see, what separates Jesus Christ from all men is that first, he was anticipated. Even the non-Jews had a longing for a deliverer and a redeemer. Now we live on the other side 
We live on the other side of his first coming, and we have a much clearer picture. Yet, do we anticipate and live in expectation of what the Savior came to do, what he came to bring? Do we understand the full weight of his first arrival in Bethlehem? This Savior who didn't come into the world to just teach it, but came into the world to die and save it. The Jewish people anticipated the power of God, and they expected it to be revealed. And it's true that they hoped that this power would liberate them from their physical enemy of their nation. That's what they hoped, instead of their own worst enemy, their sin. But let me tell you this story to help you understand the power of God that they were awaiting and that we can anticipate. There was a man who had a real problem with obesity. And it it was such a problem, it was hormonal or something. And it went to such a state that he was literally as as wide as he was tall. And, And this man shared how his weight and his size would really inhibit him socially. And he was fine to meet in most public places with friends and in restaurants and places like that. But rarely would he ever enter into another friend's house. And it was kind of like this. Once after his friends insisted he come over, uh, the man stopped by. And as he entered the house, he looked around, scanning the room from the door. He kept his coat on. And while while his friends tried to coax him in to sit down and have some coffee with them, he looked around, but he politely found a way to leave because there wasn't a seat big enough to hold his weight. Then going back to his car, he sat and wept. And every once in a while, he would go back at a later time in hopes that maybe his friends might have added some furniture that would hold his weight. The word glory in Hebrew literally means weightiness or weighty splendor. In a sense, God has the same problem as the obese man. You see, there's no place for him to sit. Nothing strong enough to hold the weighty glory of God. There was no seat on earth that could bear the weight of God's glory, except for a couple of pieces of furniture he designed himself. That first piece of furniture we talked about in our last series, we mentioned it, it's called the mercy seat that was on top of the the Ark of the Covenant, where the high priest sprinkled the sacrificed blood for forgiveness. And God said to Moses, he said that that would be the place where he would meet him and the high priest. He said, there above the cover between the two cherubim that are over the Ark of the Testimony, I will meet you and give my commands for the Israelites. See, the fulfillment of the mercy seat was Jesus Christ's sacrifice upon the cross. And you know where the Lord meets us today? At that second piece of furniture, at the foot of the cross. You see, today, the cross is the only piece of furniture that can bear the weight of his glory. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. The power of the cross is what enables God to enter our lives. Otherwise, the weight of his glory would obliterate us. The Lord doesn't come into your life because you're sweet or because you're cute. The Lord's ability to come into your life isn't because he loves you or because you love him. And even though his love for you is very real, and even though your love for him might be very real, it is only the power of God through the cross that allows you to have him seated on the throne of your heart. Emmanuel, God with us. When the Israelites went into battle, they took the Ark of the Covenant with them, confident of the power of God being with them and going before them. You know what? We can anticipate the same thing today. The power we can anticipate in Jesus Christ is knowing that the living God resides within us and he has made us his children and he is our father. 
Does God the Father care about his children? Yes. And we can know this, the power that comes from him residing within us, that everyone born of God, everyone recreated by him, can overcome the world. We can anticipate God's power to help us overcome. What the Jews also anticipated, and what we can also anticipate today, is purity. Purity that wipes away the shame and confusion of sin. From the time to time, God would send leaders that would help deliver Israel out of the hands of their enemies. God's power would rescue them out of trouble, but then they still had the trouble of their own hearts that never disappeared. And they'd wind up in the same position because of their sin, back in the hands of their enemies. And so they still anticipated a Savior that could rescue their hearts somehow. The Old Testament spoke of an inanimate objects that became pure or holy because of God's presence. There was uh, the holy tabernacle, the holy temple. There was the pieces in the temple that were holy. There was holy ground where God stood when he spoke to Moses. There was a holy altar. And it wasn't just because it was dedicated to a special use. It was because of God's presence it was holy. We can anticipate the coming of Jesus to wipe away sin and the shame of sin. To make us holy. To make us pure. See, the coming of Jesus into your life makes you pure. It's not you. It's, it's not you scrubbing yourself. It's not you doing penance. It's Jesus Christ coming into your life. And therefore, you're set apart. You're special. You are holy. The most pure place on earth. You know where it is today? The most holy place on earth today is inside believers. I know that's hard for us to grasp. But it's true. The trouble we have is just walking out in that purity with our choices. But Jesus Christ has, coming into our life, has made us pure. The people of the past also anticipated peace, a wholeness, and a saving peace. For us, we can know that we've been accepted by God through Jesus Christ. And that can bring peace. You are accepted through Jesus Christ. You are no longer rejected. There's no more statements like, man... I just don't know if I, I did enough to make it. I talk with people about the gospel. I talk about heaven and they scratch their heads. And say, that sounds too good to be true. I feel like I need to do something. And I don't feel like I've done enough to make it. You know what? We can anticipate living by grace and faith instead of living in fear. None of us have done enough. None of us have ever done enough, nor will we ever do enough. There is no doubt in my mind. But Jesus did. He did what it took. He did enough. And you know what? At the mortgage burning, or after you've paid off a car or a credit card, you know what? There's great joy. You're excited. You don't say, well, I'm really going to miss this mortgage payment. Maybe I'll make one more payment just for fun. No, you don't do that. You know, Jesus Christ paid off our spiritual mortgage. It's done. He put it to rest. The Holy Spirit is in us as a seal saying that we are paid for. We are bought. We don't come here to earn points or pay off some sort of debt. We come to say thank you, to celebrate that the payment has been made, that we can live in the peace of God and enjoy the peace of God that he has provided. We can anticipate his peace. And then the most wonderful thing, that people of the past anticipated, and we can anticipate today, is the presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord. You know what? I know that some of you had guests who came, and then they left. Short visit. 
But I want you to know, the Lord hasn't come for a short visit. Emmanuel, God with us, is, he's, he's within you. And it's not for a short visit. He's coming for permanent habitation. He's staying. Jesus told his followers, I will be with, with you always to the very end of the age. Matthew, uh, Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Not only did he promise to be with us individually, but he also told us that where two or three are gathered in his name, he would be among us corporately in some sort of special way. I know it's kind of hard for believers, for us to get our arms around this reality of Jesus' presence. But do you ever have anticipation for the Lord's presence? Like right here, like right now, the Lord's presence here. Maybe, maybe let's just take a moment and exercise our God-given imaginations to take a different look at this. So I'd I, I like you to just take a moment and imagine with me now. Think about it, how it would be if Jesus himself showed up here and we could really see him. And we could really see him here in the orange peel on a Sunday. And, and maybe, maybe we would know that he was coming ahead of time. And so we would announce, next Sunday, Jesus is coming to the 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock gatherings. He's going to be here. I mean, that would be an exciting announcement. I wouldn't miss it. I would be here. What, what about recognizing him? Say you were standing in here. You'd already walked in. And then all of a sudden, you, you had this little eerie feeling like the, and the hair on your back, on, on your neck. Sorry, on your back for the guys, but on your neck for the women. <laughs> that, that it just kind of rose. And, and you had this sense that there was someone or something behind you. And you turned around. And there he was, walking in the entryway. How, how would you recognize him? Would you, would you walk up to him and say, Welcome to Highland. Glad you're here. <laughs> would you send him over to the info booth and say, Hey, would you sign a Connect card? <laughs> how would we recognize him? You know, I, I mean, I, I hope that we would be comfortable with him. Would, would he be the type of person that we would welcome? You know, in the Bible, we see it was the religious people that had the hardest time with Jesus. Now, I know some of us really like the regularity of things. So I hope his coming wouldn't upset things too much. You know, I can imagine me making an announcement saying, I'm sorry, folks. You know, the coffee bar is closed because we're so caught up uh, with, with Jesus being here that no coffee was made, no juice boxes were set out for kids. And, and so, you know, I kind of wonder if there'd be folks that would say, what? No coffee? Where was this Jesus coming thing. What, was this announced? Was this in the bulletin? <sighs> I can't believe it. <laughs> you know, maybe we probably wouldn't think too much about our physical preparation before we came. If we knew Jesus was going to be here and we we're going to see him. Maybe we wouldn't spend as much time in the mirror. And instead we would spend a little more time getting our hearts ready and our minds ready because we knew I- I'm going to see Jesus. It's going to be here. I mean, the Lord looks at our heart, right? If Jesus was, came here and, and he was on the front row, where would you sit? In the back row? How would you sing? I mean, if he was, he was standing right here on the edge of this little 
stair thing. And he was standing here just to receive it. Just to receive it. How would you sing? And if he was there just to, to applaud and say, yes. Oh, I feel you. I feel you. Mm. You know, what would you do? Would you, would you stand there and go, would you still be in your mood? I don't feel like singing. I don't like singing. Or maybe would you get creative? Maybe you don't have a voice. Maybe you'd find another way to worship and express your heart to him. Well, how, what about kids moment? What would that be like? What if, what if, what if Jesus was sitting up here? Come on down and na, 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 na. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on in. I mean, would you be taking your kids? It didn't matter if they were crying or not. You would, you grab them and say, we're going down kids. Cause I want you to sit on Jesus's lap. I mean, would you, would you, you'd want him down there. You'd, you'd want him maybe even just close enough just to touch him. Wouldn't you have Jesus bless your child like he did when we read in the gospels? What would that be like? What about the offering time? Now, Jesus did watch offerings. If you remember the widow who gave, gave all she had and he, he made a comment about it. How would it be if Jesus was at the end of the row of chairs collecting the baskets we pass around as it went by and you looked up and there was Jesus and he said, Oh, don't mind me. I'm just observing. Go ahead. How would you feel? Imagine communion time. You know, how would it be, you know, as you walk to, to one of these stations, walked up to the plate and the cup and you got the strange feeling when you reached down to, to grab that little bread and you saw that the hand holding that plate and the hand holding that goblet had scars on it. And then you looked up and you saw his face. And he looked at you and said, this is my body, which I gave for you. Take and eat. And then he'd hand you that goblet. And he'd say, this is my blood, which I shed for you. Take and drink. What would that be like? What about the sermon time? I hope that we had let him preach. I mean, he's the, uh, he's the originator of the material. And, and when he preached, do you think it would be another time to mentally check out, pass notes, or have drawn doodle time? I don't think so. I think we would be riveted. We would be focused, tuned in. What does Jesus have to say to us, this congregation? What does he have to say to me? Wow. And then prayer time. Well, there he is. What do you want to say to him? It would just be talking with Jesus. Come and ask what you would. What if you were someone who's struggling with sickness? Something that was permanent, something that was terminal. Would you be like blind Bartimaeus? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Would you be just aching just to reach out, just to touch the hem of his robe? Or maybe you'd be coming running up, not for yourself, but for somebody else that you really loved. And maybe that person that you really loved, they were just really confused and in the dark. And you knew that if they could just talk with Jesus, things would be all right. Things would be all right. I imagine that this would be a real place of joy. We'd be bringing all sorts of people in here. And suppose you were, you were guilty of something. I mean, do you think that he would walk up to you and say, I know about you. 
I'm going to get you. No. No. You wouldn't do that. I mean, and, and what, if, what if you had done the most horrible thing? Do you think there'd still be a chance for you if Jesus was here? Yeah. Yes. What if you were lost and you needed a Savior? What do you think he would say to you? Wouldn't you think that, that you could be saved? Yeah. Approaching him, do you think he would say, sorry, I only got five minutes, make it quick. No. Wouldn't he be ready just, just to walk home with you? Put his arm around you? Say, let's go, I'm with you. I'm with you. The truth would be, the truth would be, if, the, if we knew Jesus was going to be here next Sunday and we could see him. The truth would be, it wouldn't matter if you had an awful week because if things were about bad out there, you know that when you came here, things were going to be great. It's going to be great. My day was awful, but I, I can't wait to get here because Jesus is going to be here. Well, I've got an announcement for you. And here's the punchline. It's really so. It's really true. He's here. He's here. Where two or three are gathered in my name, he's here. We've just got this teeny little problem. We can't see him. That's our problem. And we don't think of those things that we can't see. May God give us faith. We need to ask ourselves, is it really so? Is this really true? If it is, what is the significance of it? Are you prepared to live in such a way that recognizes the Spirit of God living in us, Emmanuel? Do we live, do we live in the anticipation of God's power, His purity, and His peace? Do we recognize that Jesus is here with us in our midst? By faith, we need to wake up to this reality. We cheat ourselves all the time. We get so close, and then we walk away from it. It's all around it, and it's so thick and so close all the time. You know what's different about this meeting from all the other meetings that happen in this city? The difference from the optimists, the odd fellows, and the royal orders of the moose, or whatever else it may be? The Lord is here in this gathering. That's what makes the difference. The Lord is here in this gathering. He's not here because you see him. If you never saw him, he'd still be here. If you never felt him, he's still here because Jesus doesn't follow your feelings around like a dog on a leash. Why is he here? Because he keeps his word. He keeps his word. What would an invitation look like if Jesus were here? It wouldn't be an invitation to Highland Christian Church. It's an invitation to come to him. See, you wouldn't be coming to shake the preacher's hand. You wouldn't be coming to the preacher at all. Forget him. Jesus is here. Jesus is here. You don't go to the preacher. You go to Jesus. He's here. You're coming to say to him, I'm I'm with you. I'm with you. I need you. Lord, Savior. You know, there's lots of songs that, that express Jesus inviting. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. Jesus I come to thee. I can hear my Savior calling. Can you hear him calling you? 
There's a song by Billy Sprague. He used to sing with a group who traveled around. And it expresses this moment and Jesus being here with us. And it goes like this. If Christ himself were standing here, his face full of glory, his eyes full of tears, and he held out his arms with his nail-printed hands, is there any way you could say no to this man? How could you look into his tear-stained eyes, knowing that it's you he's thinking of? Could you tell him you're not ready now to give him your life? Could you tell him you don't think you need his love? Jesus is here with his arms open wide. You can see him with your heart if you'll stop looking with your eyes. He's left it up to you. He's done all that he can. Is there any way you could say no to this man? Well, he's here. He's here. And if Jesus were standing right here, what would you do? So this is the invitation. It's an invitation to do what you would do if Jesus were here. Maybe some of you say, I need help, Jesus. I've lost my job. Jesus, I'm sick. I need your help. There's these, person, these people I love and they need you. Or maybe you just come and bow at his feet and just worship him and adore him. I don't know what it would be. But whatever it is, let's just do it now. He's right here. What would you do if he's here? And maybe this is a little awkward. You're not sure what to do with yourself. That's all right. You can just stay in your seat, close your eyes, and know that he's with you. But if you like to, I invite you. You can, you can be here with me. Let's, let's do what we do if he was here. Jesus. Jesus. Risen and exalted one. Jesus. Lord Jesus, hear your people talking to you. See your people. See those who are seeking after you and they want to find you. Lord, let yourself be found. Reveal yourself. Lord, help those who are calling on you. Minister to them by your spirit. Father, those who feel lost, help them find their way. Lord, those who are in desperate need of forgiveness and removing of guilt and sin, Lord, let your forgiveness be real and mighty, cleansing. Lord, for those who just need aid, bring your aid to them and your help. Lord, for those with broken hearts, mend them. Lord, with those with ache and long for you, just to be with you, Lord. Let your Holy Spirit comfort, bring comfort to that ache. Lord, we anticipate you. We, we long for you. We want you. We expect you. Thank you for being here in our midst.